Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. I would like to submit on behalf of many of us cool heads in the electorate, this isn't a rush to judgment and it's not wrong to look at this whistleblower complaint in the context of the last few years. Mm -hmm. Compartmentalizing everything does not benefit us. Sometimes we need to look at the whole. And so when Mitt Romney reads this and says he's troubled, I mean, to paraphrase one of our great artists, we knew he was troubled when he walked in. And it is okay to have that sense of him. It is okay to look at this and say, this is wrong and it is in character for him. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. friends, it's Friday and it's been quite a week and we are going to get right to it. Picking up from Tuesday's episode in which we said, hey, this seems like a big deal, referring to the whistleblower's complaint about the president's call with the Ukrainian president. That Turns out we were right. <laughs> it does. That afternoon, the Speaker of the House of Representatives announced that the House would be opening a formal impeachment inquiry. And we have had just a constant drumbeat of learning more information. First, we get a transcript of the call. Then we have a hearing with the acting director of national intelligence. We know that you all have lives and things to do and that some people have been watching every second of this along with us on social media. And some people feel like they are in an impossible tornado trying to figure out what's happening. So we want to take a big step back today and try to slowly walk through what we know and then get into what we think about what we know. So we'll begin with just thinking about Ukraine for a second, because you have to really understand the dynamics surrounding Ukraine to follow the whistleblower's complaint in this story. We talked a lot about Ukraine on this podcast when Paul Manafort's legal troubles with Robert Mueller were in the news because Paul Manafort worked in Ukraine with pro-Russian forces. So Ukraine was part of the USSR. It gained its independence when the USSR fell apart. Since then, there are people in Ukraine who believe Ukraine should be very close to Russia, should perhaps eventually be part of Russia again. There are 
more people seemingly in Ukraine who believe that Ukraine should be part of NATO and work in a more European direction. And Russia has actively invaded Ukraine because Vladimir Putin wants this country to be part of Russia once again. And so there is a true war, actual combat happening over territory in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia. And NATO countries have been supportive of Ukraine in in defending against Russia. The United States has provided military aid to Ukraine against Russia. And most global experts believe that if Russia were to overtake Ukraine again, it would be the beginning of a very dark period in human history because of the possibilities that opens up for Russia. Sarah, anything that I have misstated or overstated there or that you want to add to? I would just say that Ukraine and the intensity of the situation in Ukraine started in 2014. And that's why you really need to go all the way back to 2014, as many of the timelines online do, in order to get a full picture of why everything that's happened this week is of such national security importance. So like Beth said, the Ukraine was part of the USSR, then it was independent, Then in 2014, in early 2014, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych was ousted from power. There was a popular uprising. He flees to Russia. Also in 2014 is when Russia comes in and, quote unquote, annexes the Crimean Peninsula, which was the first basically illegal invasion seizure of land in Europe since World War II. It's a big deal. NATO certainly thinks it's a big deal. The United States, until the Trump administration, thought it was a big deal. And Yanukovych worked closely with Paul Manafort. So when he's ousted and he goes flees to Russia and you have people coming in to try to clean up the Ukraine, get rid of the corruption and particularly the Russian influence, that's pull up a chair, everybody, because that's where our story really begins. So. As part of this attempt to clean up the Ukraine, there was an energy company named Burisma Holdings, owned by a Russian oligarch. They were part of this corruption probe under an old Ukrainian prosecutor, okay? And so they were trying to clean up their act, and they hired a bunch of people for their board, one of which was Hunter Biden, son of Vice President Joe Biden. So not only was it private companies that were trying to appear more... Um, transparent and less corrupt. It was also the government itself. And the international community, including Vice President Joe Biden at the time, was calling on the firing of the prosecutor general of the Ukraine at the time, Viktor Shokin, to be fired because he was seen as holding up most of these sort of anti-corruption movements. And so Joe Biden, along with many other in the international community, were calling on him to be fired. And so Biden, like other leaders and consistent with the United States policy, told Ukrainian officials that they needed to fire Shokin or they would risk losing more than a billion dollars in loan guarantees. So when you hear President Trump referring to Joe Biden bragging about leaning on the prosecutor in Ukraine, this seems to be what he's referring to. Biden later did say Yeah, I told them they have to fire him or they'll lose more than a billion dollars in loan guarantees. And it wasn't just the United States and other countries that were putting this pressure on Ukraine. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, threatened to halt a bailout program for Ukraine unless it addressed its corruption issues. So finally, in 2016, the Ukrainian parliament oust this particular prosecutor, Shokin, on just coincidentally, the same day that Paul Manafort is hired by Donald Trump's presidential campaign. So Yuri Lutsenko becomes the new prosecutor general of Ukraine, replacing Shokin. And then Manafort becomes the head of Donald Trump's campaign. So by mid-2016, though, this old relationship between Yanukovych and Manafort is starting to come to the public's attention. That you have Ukrainian officials revealing the existence of off-the-book payments between Yanukovych's political party and Paul Manafort. And because of all this 
bad press. Manafort is forced out of Donald Trump's campaign in August. And then, of course, in November of 2016, Donald Trump is elected president. And it's really important to keep in mind that Yanukovych is the pro-Russian Mm-hmm. leader in Ukraine who was forced out of office and actually into exile in Russia by a populist uprising in Ukraine. And so Manafort has been closely aligned with people who are believed to be closely aligned with President Putin. We talked a lot about that when Manafort was being um, indicted because you you kept thinking, well, this is supposed to be about Russia. Why does Ukraine keep coming on the scene? And this is mm-hmm. why, because Ukraine matters a lot to Russia. And Russia is constantly interfering in Ukrainian business and Ukrainian elections and Ukrainian politics. So in early 2017, the probes of Burisma, this company that Hunter Biden was on the board of, were closed closed, according to Burisma. Lutsenko, the prosecutor general who succeeded Viktor Shokin and who was appointed by the predecessor to Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's current president. So we had Poroshenko before Zelensky and Poroshenko appointed Lutsenko. Stay with us. Okay. So (laughs) Lutsenko tells Bloomberg that there's still one investigation going on as to Burisma, but Burisma has said this is all done. Okay. Then we have a report in 2018 that Ukrainian officials had decided to stop assisting Bob Mueller's investigation out of concern that doing so would harm their relationship with Trump's administration. Because remember, Russia is actively in Ukraine and Ukraine needs the help of the United States to deal with that problem. And this is when you have the three Democratic senators, Bob Menendez, Richard Durbin and Patrick Leahy, write to Lutsenko urging him to explain why he made that decision and to continue working with Bob Mueller. And that's the letter that Donald Trump was waving around earlier this week. So then we get into Ukrainian election and you have Zelensky challenging Poroshenko. And as part of his campaign, Zelensky has promised, imagine this, to drain the swamp in Ukraine. And part of that is saying Lutsenko is a problem and would need to go in my administration. In March of 2019, Lutsenko starts making all kinds of allegations about his version of the corruption going on in Ukraine. And he says as part of that in an interview with The Hill, which is just it's so odd to me how The Hill ends up being Mm -hmm. at the center of many of these things. But he says that U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yavanovich, gave him a list of people who should not be prosecuted. Now, the State Department says that is an outright fabrication, but the president has promoted that version of events in a tweet. So also in early 2019, Hunter Biden's term on that board ends and he leaves Burisma. Mueller's report comes out on April 18th detailing his team's investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 election. And Lutsenko eventually retracts this claim that the ambassador to the Ukraine gave him a list of people not to prosecute. Zelensky then wins the election with 73 percent of the vote, and Trump offers a very short call to congratulate him on his win. Then the State Department recalls our ambassador to Ukraine who we just spoke of, Marie Yanovich. And this is a big deal because she has been there a long time. She's a career diplomat, and Democrats immediately allege wrongdoing and that all the the reasons given for recalling her are lies. So Trump administration is in. Mueller investigation is going on. This diplomat has been removed. And sometime in May, Rudy Giuliani has a meeting with a top Ukrainian anti-corruption prosecutor in Paris. And that prosecutor has declined to comment on what they talked about, but he said the Burisma investigation should be reopened. And then Giuliani decides to travel to Ukraine 
because he thinks and because Rudy Giuliani can't keep his mouth shut, he tells everybody about this all over cable news. <laughs> he says that information about investigations will be very, very helpful to my client, referring to the president, and may turn out to be helpful to my government. But then people found out about this and said, that seems wrong. And so he canceled the trip. And at this time, Lutsenko, the prosecutor, comes out and says there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by the Bidens. But Trump begins to explicitly reference Biden's efforts in the Ukraine. This is a quote. Biden, he calls them and says, don't you dare persecute. If you don't fire this prosecutor, the prosecutor was after his son. Then he said, if you hire the prosecutor, you'll be okay. And if you don't fire the prosecutor, we're not giving you $2 billion in loan guarantees or whatever he was supposed to give. Can you imagine if I did that? Wish that was in any way understandable. But that is a direct quote about what he says. So the Burisma probe was dormant. Lutsenko had closed part of it. There's no app, no evidence that there was any wrongdoing on the part of the Bidens. But at this point in May, Giuliani and Trump start to really push on the story. Zelensky is inaugurated as the president and the administration notifies Congress that it intends to release the military aid to the Ukraine, the aid they need to battle Russia, which is trying to invade their country. <laughs> So in July, we start hearing about clashing between DNI Dan Coates and Trump and that Coates' days are numbered. And then on July 18th, the state and defense departments are told that $400 million in aid to Ukraine would be withheld. And members of Congress are told that the hold is part of an interagency delay. Then we have Robert Mueller's testimony on July 24th. On July 25th, after Robert Mueller's testimony, as Republicans are all walking around talking about the total exoneration of the president, we have this phone call that has been the subject of the week's news cycle between Trump and Zelensky. And a call memorandum was released. We described this on social media, but I think it's worth walking through here where the president congratulates Zelensky on his win, although Zelensky points out, you already congratulated me on my win. Now you're calling to congratulate me because we have had a big win in parliament. And Zelensky says, maybe we should win more often so you and I can talk on the phone more often. And this is a theme with Zelensky. He is always pushing for people to come to Ukraine, to visit him in person, to take his phone calls because he needs help. In the course of the conversation, Trump says the United States does so much for Ukraine. It is not reciprocal. We are a better friend to Ukraine than European countries. Merkel in Germany is all talk. We actually do things for you. And by the way, I need a favor. And the favor has two components. First, he wants Zelensky's government to pursue a theory that the DNC actually collaborated with people in Ukraine in connection with the 2016 election. And specifically, the president seems to believe, and this is based on reporting, not communicated in the call itself, but the president seems to believe that Hillary Clinton's missing emails that he loves to talk about are actually on a server in Ukraine with a company, an American company, called CrowdStrike. The second part of the favor is that he wants an investigation of Joe Biden allegedly stopping the prosecution of Burisma in order to protect his son. And Zelensky says, I've been troubled by the way this has been reported, because as I read the as I read the notes of the call, Zelensky tries to say yes without saying yes. Like, we'll look into it. I'm going to appoint a a new prosecutor general. And he kind of uses Trump like language, like I'm going to appoint really good people. They're going to be my people. It's all going to be good. On top of this. This favor language, Trump repeatedly suggests that Zelensky work with Attorney General William Barr with regards to this investigation. He says repeatedly, talk to Rudy, talk to our attorney general. They're going to help you get this investigation started. And the, you know, repeated mentioning of our attorney general in this call is another huge source of concern to some members of Congress. And then on July 31st, 
Trump holds a phone call with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, we don't really know what they talked about, except that the Russians claim they spoke about restoring full relations with one with our, between our two countries. And so at this point in early August, Giuliani's been on this little this little field trip to Spain to meet with more representatives from Zelensky's government and encouraging Zelensky's government to investigate Hunter Biden. Zelensky announces that he will travel to the United States to meet with Trump in Washington. And Trump, now that Dan Coats has resigned, has announced that he is going to bypass Sue Gordon, who was the number two in um, the Directorate of National Intelligence and a career intelligence official. And she resigns and he and he appoints Joseph McGuire as acting director of national intelligence. That's on August 8th. On August 12th is when the anonymous whistleblower files a complaint with the inspector general for the intelligence community. The contents of the whistleblower complaint um, were released to Congress as we are recording today on Thursday. And the inspector general, Michael Atkinson, determined at the time that the complaint was credible and a matter of urgent concern. So that's on August 12th. Under the requirements of the law, once the intelligence community inspector general determines that the the complaint is credible, he or she is to send it to the director of national intelligence, who then has seven days to send that complaint to Congress. That is not what happens. So we're at August 12th when the whistleblower complaint is filed. August 15th is when Dan Coates and Sue Gordon officially leave their position. And by late August, lawmakers are starting to notice that this aid to Ukraine has been being withheld and is citing it's important, asking about even Mitch McConnell's like, I didn't, they wouldn't tell me why they were withholding it, basically. On September 1st, Zelensky and Vice President Pence meet at with various world leaders in Poland. Trump was originally planned to attend the ceremony, but remained in the United States because of Hurricane Dorian. Pence says that he did not discuss Joe Biden with Zelensky, but that he did suggest that aid was contingent on rooting out corruption. So now we're in early September. Senator Chris Murphy, the Democrat from Connecticut, travels to Ukraine and meets with Zelensky and later tells Chuck Todd that Zelensky has expressed concern about Giuliani's overtures. And the Washington Post editorial board writes that it has been reliably told that Trump was attempting to force Mr. Zelensky, Zelensky to intervene in the 2020 U.S. presidential election by launching an investigation of the leading Democratic candidate Joe Biden. On September 9th, Atkinson notifies the House and Senate Intelligence Committee that a whistleblower has filed a complaint, but he does not reveal its contents or substance. The next day, on September 10th, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff writes to McGuire, the D- acting DNI, demanding that they receive the complaint. And this is where we really start to see the issues that were at the center of McGuire's testimony today before Congress is why Acting Director of National Intelligence McGuire did not send that complaint to Congress. So this is September 10th. Trump announces on Twitter that National Security Advisor John Bolton was fired. John Bolton said, I was not fired. I resigned. On September 11th, the Trump administration finally releases that aid to the Ukraine. And on September 13th, Adam Schiff subpoenas McGuire to compel him to disclose the whistleblower complaint. And according to Adam Schiff, the DNI's office in a letter indicates that the whistleblower complaint is being withheld because of confidential and potentially privileged communications by people outside the intelligence community. And that's when they start to assume that it's Trump. On the 17th, McGuire says he will not testify or hand over the whistleblower complaint. On the 18th, the Post reports that the complaint involves Trump's communications with the foreign leader. On the 19th, Atkinson The inspector general briefs Congress in a closed-door session and tells them the complaint involves multiple events and not a single communication, and the Post breaks the story that the complaint involves the Ukraine. At this point, we start moving really, really quickly. September 23rd, Trump suggests aid to Ukraine may have been withheld over corruption issues. Then on September 24th, earlier this week, Trump confirms he did withhold the funding but suggests it was because other European countries should pay for Ukraine's military aid. Then he releases the transcript of the phone call. At this point, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announces her support for a formal impeachment inquiry. On September 25th, the White House releases the rough transcript of the call. And then today, on September 26th, McGuire testified before the House Intelligence Committee. 
Also today, there was audio released of the president basically implying that maybe the whistleblower is um, should be executed for treason. But we'll get into that in a minute. Do you think we covered everything, Beth? I really appreciate the Washington Post for putting together a timeline that we followed very closely in describing these events to you. And so stepping way back big picture, because that was a lot of detail, it seems that the president has been using the opportunity to talk with a new president in Ukraine and the money that Ukraine needs from the United States to try to get Ukraine to help him establish that the, quote, real election interference in 2016 was done by Democrats, not by his campaign, and to discredit Joe Biden ahead of the 2020 election. And in furtherance of those objectives, he has had communications and has sent Rudy Giuliani around the world Mm -hmm. talking to everyone who will talk to him about this to try to establish what he believes are real facts. And Rudy Giuliani has described himself alternately as the personal lawyer to the president and as an envoy of the State Department. So Mike Mm -hmm. Pompeo is hopping mad about the way Rudy Giuliani is talking about this. The president has talked about Rudy Giuliani and Bill Barr as though they were just, you know, besties in this pursuit. And Bill Barr says, I don't know anything about this. But what we now know is that this whistleblower complaint goes to the inspector general. He decides it's credible. The acting DNI, McGuire, says, I don't know what to do here because this is about the president. And these are always about people who are in the intelligence community, people that I am responsible for. And so instead of taking this to Congress, he takes it to the White House and the Department of Justice gets involved. And apparently there was a brief investigation of whether the president's call with President Zelensky of Ukraine violated federal election laws. Right. Did he get a thing of value in this call? Is there some kind of FEC problem? And the Department of Justice concluded no. It is really difficult, though, to have confidence in that process because Attorney General Barr is named in this phone call over and over as someone who's deeply involved in what the president is asking for. It is also difficult to have confidence here. Because Attorney General Barr has announced to the American public over and over that he doesn't believe a sitting president can be indicted for anything. So it seems like kind of a farce to say that the DOJ investigated a criminal element of this when the DOJ doesn't believe the president can commit crime under the current attorney general. And that all brings us to a subpoena being sent to acting DNI McGuire, who testified in front of the House Intelligence Committee today. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. 
If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So before we talk about the hearing with DNI McGuire, we should note that at the same time, just an hour or so before the hearing, we got to see the full whistleblower complaint, which is something that just last night, Sarah, you and I were talking about. I wonder if we'll ever see the full complaint. Well, we did today. And it has several parts. It as as the inspector general told Congress earlier in the week, it is not just about one phone call. So a whistleblower wrote in this letter, I have a bunch of concerns and here they are. Number one, there's this phone call. And the whistleblower says, I did not hear the phone call. Half a dozen or so people who heard it have talked to me. I find them credible because they're all telling me the same thing. And the whistleblower goes on to describe a fact pattern that is very consistent with the readout of the call that the White House issued earlier in the week. And then the whistleblower says, hey, there's more. The second part of the whistleblower complaint was basically that there were efforts on the part of the administration to restrict access to this call and the records related to this call. That the White House officials told the whistleblower that they were, quote unquote, directed by White House lawyers to remove the electronic transcript from the computer system in which the transcripts are typically stored and to be put into a separate electronic system that is usually used to store and handle classified information of an especially sensitive nature. This call was not that. And to put the call in this system was an abuse of this electronic system because the call did not contain anything classified or remotely sensitive. And then part three of the complaint is titled Ongoing Concerns. Mm -hmm. And it says a lot. And it describes that a special representative for Ukraine negotiations and a U.S. ambassador to the EU went to Kiev and met with President Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials about how to, quote, navigate President Trump's asks of them. It also says that on August 2nd, Rudy Giuliani went to Spain to visit an advisor. So that was part of the timeline that we just gave you, that Giuliani had contact with other Ukrainian officials and that Trump had been talking to Zelensky. And you see this in the White House call memorandum, too. Trump keeps saying to Zelensky, I sure hope you and Vladimir Putin Mm -hmm. can work this whole thing out. And he's tying that statement to his understanding of why all of this is important. Right. Late today, the New York Times has reported that this whistleblower is someone in the CIA who has a deep understanding of our policy with respect to Ukraine. And that really comes across in this section. In this section of the whistleblower complaint, you see why this person is so deeply concerned, because this person is connecting the dots between the president's asks of Ukraine and this aid to Ukraine 
and our relationship with Russia and our policy toward Russia. Yeah, I think that to me is so disturbing. It's bad enough that he would basically be extorting a foreign country to get involved in our elections by investigating his rival. But to me, when I read the whistleblower complaint and when I read the the summary of the call, there is also this undercurrent of, especially if you are Zelensky and you know that Paul Manafort, his former campaign chair, worked for the pro-Russian government. You know, I'm assuming that Zelensky and his advisors watch the same news the rest of us do that see Donald Trump talking about how great Vladimir Putin is and how they're going to have a great partnership. And then he's saying things like, I hope you make a deal with him. So not only are you not getting the aid with which to defend yourself against Russia, but you are also getting not so subtle pushes to cut a deal with Russia. And so this is not just about the you know, massive abdication of your oath of office by reaching out to a foreign government to investigate your political rival. But it really and truly is a matter of national security that you are opening up avenues for Russia to expand their power when they've already annexed part of Ukraine. And I have to believe that that's part of the reason you saw these this group of seven freshman Democrats who've worked in national security, who've worked in the military, decide this and no further. Like, this is a huge national security risk. And that's part of what makes all of this difficult, because mm-hmm. a president is entitled to set a foreign policy, even one that I think most of us would say is ill-advised. What a president is not allowed to do is to do that for his personal interest instead of what he perceives to be the national interest. And so if this phone call were just, gosh, I hope you all make a deal, that would be awful. It would not be impeachable. The part that brings this into the scope of high crimes and misdemeanors as I believe the Constitution intends, is that the president is connecting to all of this pressure his personal interest in being vindicated about his own election and in trying to be reelected by smearing Joe Biden. And so that brings us to DNI McGuire's testimony before the House Intelligence Committee today, which I thought raised some really important questions about accountability in our system of government where we have three co-equal branches because you had Democrats really angry that acting DNI McGuire did not bring this whistleblower complaint to Congress until he got a subpoena and instead took it to the White House and said, hey, guy who is alleged to have done something wrong, an attorney general whose, whose name is all over the place in connection with that, what do you think I should do here? Can I just say something? This is what I kept thinking the whole time. Look, I think I agree with the Democrats. I don't find McGuire to be, you know, a total Trump loyalist in the the sort of example of Bill Barr or Lewandowski or any of those people. I think he's trying the best he can. And I believe he, you know, loves his country and is loyal and all the things. Did you not learn anything from Jim Comey? Just because you think it's unprecedented, just because you think it's a completely unique situation, you're a military guy. Stick to the process. Don't decide to use your own judgment that the process no longer applies. America, have we not learned? This doesn't lead anywhere good. If the you follow the process and it's a terrible outcome, then it is Congress's job to change the process, my friend, not yours. Well, I think part of what he was saying is that he read the process to be ambiguous because the whistleblower complaint concerns someone who is not a member of the intelligence community. And so I think he was saying the letter of the law was unclear to me. And given the potential for executive privilege to be claimed and the lack of clarity in the letter of the law, this is what I did. Now, I would not have made that decision under these Mm -hmm. circumstances, I don't think. But as I listen today, it is very easy to imagine this hearing going exactly the opposite way, 
where he, in fact, took the complaint directly to Congress and Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee slammed him for saying that that was inappropriate under the very letter of the law. I mean, he probably watched Jim Comey and Bob Mueller get skewered in six directions because these situations are so difficult. So I agree with you. I don't think he did anything nefarious. I think what he did ignored the reality of all of the factors of the Trump administration at play here. And I also don't think that we should spend too much time trying to shame this individual because we got to the right place. And some members of Congress did actually ask questions about how these laws need to be revised to contemplate a situation like that. So there was some encouraging moments, I thought, in the hearing in that people were thinking about the process, too. Well, I'm not trying to shame him. I'm just trying to say America, particularly people in our government. I think we've established that, like, we've turned a corner and all of our circumstances are going to be unique and unprecedented in many, many ways. So don't don't put that on your shoulders. I think what really happened is that he decided that, you know, when I hear him explaining this wasn't a member of the Intelligence Committee or this isn't a uh, this wasn't a member of the intelligence community and i had to think about the members of the administration i feel like ultimately he decided that he was a member of the executive branch instead of a member of the like in in his the prioritization of his memberships a being a member of the executive branch took precedent over being a member of the intelligence community. When I heard him testifying and explaining how he made that decision and what he was thinking through, it's not that i thought any of it was, you know, completely irrational. But I did get a very Jim Comey vibe of like, well, I just saw this playing out and I thought I better do this instead. And, you know, not that I think he was a complete idiot to do that. I get why he did it. I just wish we would all learn this lesson. Don't do that. Don't 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 do that. Like stick to the stick to the process. And the process was written for the, you know, sort of like the read a law with the intent in mind. And the intent was as a member of the intelligence community. And I feel like what happened is that he became a member of the administration instead. I have sympathy for his position. This was mostly a process hearing. There was not a lot Mm -hmm. of discussion of the substance of the whistleblower complaint. I think the most significant moments were when he said, he meaning acting DNI McGuire, he said he thinks the whistleblower followed the law did what the whistleblower was supposed to do. He thinks the inspector general is absolutely credible. He couldn't have spoken in more confident terms about the work of the inspector general who found this whistleblower's complaint credible and found it to be an urgent concern um, that needed to be shared with Congress. And so you did not have a Trump administration official towing the party line. His moments of being heated were when he was accused of not following the law. And I think he genuinely believes that he tried to follow the law and the law was ambiguous. And that's really what today's hearing was about. There were no blockbuster moments. I really was impressed with the way Adam Schiff chaired this Mm -hmm. hearing because he made sure every time time expired that Acting DNI McGuire had an opportunity to complete his thoughts, to say anything he wanted to say. Um, I thought he kept the heat in the room down as much as anyone can in hearings like this. He did not take the bait from some of the just completely unproductive and unsubstantiated things that people like Devin Nunes were saying. So I was re- my key takeaway today was that I was really impressed by Chairman Schiff and comforted that he's in that role. I also thought he did an exceptional job of just being a prosecutor and piecing about what he was saying, really getting the information out of him that he wanted and that he thought clarified the issue and really laid out the problems with this call, with the complaint with the Trump administration's behavior and doing so, like you said, like in a very kind of calm way. It wasn't, let me yell at you until you get flustered and admit it. It was just like, well, how about this? Well, how about this? Oh, well, what about this? Like he just, he did a really good job. It's an unusual set of gifts to be as eloquent as he is and also to be such a good listener. Mm -hmm. I don't see a lot of shifting in the Republican talking points on these issues. A lot was made of the fact that the whistleblower did not observe events described in the complaint firsthand. 
I don't find that compelling. I wish that the whistleblower had been someone who saw it firsthand. That certainly would be easier and cleaner. I also am happy that someone stood up and said, I think this is wrong because I do think this is wrong. And one of my big takeaways from McGuire today, who kept saying, I'm constrained by my role. This is the situation I'm in. I'm doing my best to navigate it, but this is my lane. And there are lots of things outside my lane that I'm not going to talk about. I really think we're in a crisis of people who are willing to stay in their lane and compartmentalize. And what we need are more people like this whistleblower who are saying, maybe it's not my lane, but it's not okay, And we need to do something about it. The reason I don't take issue with the fact that the whistleblower didn't see many of these things firsthand is that, I mean, they're an intelligence officer, Isn't their job to observe things and then report? I mean, isn't this person just using the skills that we've entrusted with them as the to them as the United States government, as the United States Intelligence Committee? So, you know, that's why I don't necessarily take huge issue that it wasn't a direct witness. Also, it seems like if it was a direct witness, it would be much harder to keep that person's identity a secret. I mean, it feels like all these people who knew if I come out and blow the whistle, they'll know immediately it's me, went to this person and said, okay, you do it for us. (laughs) It seems like it was like a group meeting where everybody was like, okay, well, we can't say it. They'll immediately figure out it was us. You're going to have to file the complaint. It also seems to be pretty disingenuous to be making too much of the fact that this person wasn't a direct witness when the White House has confirmed a lot of what's in the complaint Mm -hmm. through releasing that call memorandum through the president's own statements. I mean, the president kind of wants to have it every way. Mm -hmm. And that's not unusual for him. And that's not unusual for Rudy Giuliani, for sure. And I thought another productive aspect of this hearing was questioning what Rudy Giuliani is doing. And how dangerous it is to have someone who is not part of the State Department running around acting like an American diplomat. The question was put to McGuire directly, does Giuliani have security clearance? What is his role? And he said, I don't know. And I learn about his activities by watching TV just like you do. That's disturbing. Recently, we were being interviewed and you said... What we really want people to do is to articulate their values and not just respond out of fear. So often when people talk about politics, they really, you know, sort of speak about what they're afraid of, respond out of that fear instead of articulating their values and moving forward from there. I think that we have witnessed many moderate Democrats work through that process. But I still hear so many people that I talk to in my everyday life really speaking out of fear when it comes to this issue and impeachment. You know, I think with the Democrats and with Nancy Pelosi, you know, I don't think Nancy Pelosi stepped forward with this, with her support of the impeachment inquiry because she decided that no matter what, it's a political win. I think that Nancy Pelosi, as the Speaker of the House, was looking at not just being the party leader, but being the sort of head of this congressional institution. And if he's allowed to cross this line with no consequences, then, you know, the idea that our Constitution set up co-equal branches sort of ceases to exist, in my opinion, not to be hyperbolic. But, you know, I keep hearing people talk about all this is going on and where people are. There was even a, a a poll that came out today that said over 50% of people support impeachment, but there are still electoral fears. And, you know, I think we all have to move past that. I have to believe that these, in particular, some of these moderate Democrats just said, like, it, why would I put my life on the line? Because the election of Donald Trump helped me see things so clearly that I thought I had to participate And then let my fear of Donald Trump swallow all those values and all my vision just to stay in this office. And I applaud them for that. And I think the rest of us have to do the same. Like, we just have to articulate our values and look at the information in this complaint and in that call and not be consumed with electoral fears 
um, political calculus is about 2020. I think we just have to say our values are the rule of law. Our values are that elections are for American citizens and not foreign nations to participate in, that our values are spreading the supporting the spread of democracy and not the spread of Russian aggression, and then move forward from there and not let this become, how does this play out in the 2020? What happens next? I mean, I think, I think at this point, with everything that's happened this week, it is exactly that process that you articulated. We cannot just respond emotionally out of fear about what this means for the future. We have to stay focused on whether or not what is happening now represents our values as a country. For me, there is also an element in this of insisting that we be able to believe what is right in front of us mm-hmm. instead of allowing everything to be explained away through a lens of partisanship. When Republicans try to spin this call memorandum, it just makes my blood boil because it seems like the most blatant moment in a long trajectory of trying to say, no, what you see isn't what is actually going Mm -hmm. on. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
this week. This is a silly example, but it keeps coming to mind for me. I Wednesday night checked into a hotel pretty late and I was alone and I walked to my room. I get my room key. I walked to my room. I open the door and all I can see from the door is that the light is on and the bed is unmade. Okay, so I quickly close the door and I go back to the front desk and I say, hi, the bed is not made in this room. And the person behind the desk is like, well, was somebody else in there? Well, I don't know. I didn't stick around to find out. Once I saw an unmade bed and a light on, I left. And the person just asked me all these questions and is kind of wondering out loud how this could have happened. And I kept thinking, I understand why that is all part of what you're thinking about. But the critical issue right now to me is that I can't stay in this room and I need to be in another room. And that is how I feel about all of these theatrics about the president. I understand why Republicans would rather talk about Joe Biden. I understand why Republicans would rather talk about Democrats and all the partisan things they believe Democrats do that are frustrating to them. I understand why all this is in your mind. But the key question to me that Republicans have got to stop avoiding is, is what is right in front of you acceptable? There is a call memorandum that this White House put out into the world as true, showing us what was said here. And it was much more direct than I expected it to be. I thought this would be a little more subtle than it was, but it was the Mm -hmm. president very clearly leaning on this guy. And then we watch a press conference where President Trump and President Zelensky stand next to each other. And President Zelensky, who is in the horrible position of trying to do damage control with European countries after the release of this call transcript, who still needs the United States help desperately, is being asked whether he felt pressured. He's trying to gain the confidence of his country at home. And he says no. And the president says no. No, of course not. Well, what is he supposed to say? You know, what is he going to say in this context? There's nothing about Donald Trump that makes any of this story, as the whistleblower describes it, sound wrong. Not one thing. I see no evidence that Donald Trump is not exactly what this whistleblower describes. Mm -hmm. And so I think impeachment is important now for Americans to reclaim our sense of some kind of collective truth in the world. The New York Times is reporting that online trolls are already talking in chat rooms about how to reclaim this narrative for the president. And they are talking about how in our previous impeachment proceedings, we have not had social media the way we have it today. And that this is going to be a whole new ballgame of trying to convince us all that what we see with our eyes is not what's real. And that is why I'm so grateful for Democrats taking the political risk to do this, even though the Senate might not remove him and even though it might cost them electorally, because at some point we have to insist that what we see and hear is real and we will act on it. Mm -hmm. Not only do I agree with you and do I think it's important for us to reclaim the facts and look at things clearly But I think part of that assessment, and again, back to the importance of this to our national security, who do you think is tickled pink that Zelensky is in trouble with European allies, that he's thrust into the world stage and put in the middle of this fight, that he now is struggling, most likely, to mend relationships with NATO members so that he can get the aid he needs to defend his country against Russia? I mean— He must be so happy right now. And I, as an American, am not in the business of making Vladimir Putin happy. And I don't care how much you want to spin this and you want to tell me there's no there there. I can read. It's not that long. This is not the Mueller report and you don't need a chart. It's all right there. And it's all incredibly, incredibly problematic. And that is a putting it kindly. And I don't believe this is the first time that a call memorandum has been put in a different electronic drawer Mm -hmm. because of the president's personal political But there's lots of calls with Putin in that drawer. It would be, I think, an act of courage for more people who have observed these events to come forward. 
I think it is just time for us to collectively determine, even if you voted for President Trump, this is a gamble that has not paid off. And I understand and have for many, many months been of the mind that Americans need to defeat him at the ballot box. But the constant obstruction of Congress's efforts to to exercise oversight and today the president's words that people who report his improper actions are comparable to spies who have committed treason tell me that we are at a breaking point. That Congress doesn't mean anything if Congress cannot step up here. So I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're doing it quickly. And I think it's going to feel like a zeitgeist for several weeks. But we need this. That's just where I am. I think America just needs this test because what we have allowed to happen to this point is unforgivable. And Mm -hmm. to allow it to go on. When this president continues in front of crowds to talk about how they should be chanting eight more years, not just four more years. I mean, he is telling us every single day that he does not give a damn about our norms and about our process and about our Constitution. And it's just enough. It's enough. It's time to act. And I hear this undercurrent of, I mean, it's trauma. I think we should just name it for what it is. I think at this point, I have heard so many times, I can't get my hopes up. He gets away with everything. But we know what then will happen. He gets away from everything. It's exactly like what I said about, well, I don't know if America is ready for a woman president. Are you ready? Just worry about yourself. Speak firmly about where you stand. If you think this is wrong, then you should articulate what the president did was wrong and he should be impeached and removed from office because of it. Period. That's what matters. It's a democracy. I know we're all traumatized from 2016. I am still traumatized from 2016. And I am traumatized from the Kavanaugh hearing. And I am traumatized from the Mueller report. And I am traumatized from all the ways in which this man has stepped forward And continue to illustrate what he said from the beginning, which is I could shoot somebody in Times Square and get away with it. I get it. And we should name that and we should feel our feelings. And I'm here to affirm your feelings. Sometimes I feel the same way. But no one's going to save us from this. You know, we have to step up and participate and we have to step up and call our representatives and we have to step up in conversation and say, what he did was wrong and a violation of his, of his oath of office, and he deserves to be impeached and removed because of it, period. I don't care what it means for 2020. I don't care what he's gotten away with in the past. Right now, in this moment, I can read. I know what's important to our democracy as an, democracy as an American citizen, and this should not stand. Yeah, the electorate is not some disembodied entity separate from all of us. We are the electorate. On the other end, so you often talk about, and I love to hear you say this, Sarah, that righteous anger is your favorite emotion. Mine is being the cool head, right? I take a lot of pride in being rational and let me see all sides of something. And so in that way, I relate very much to like the Ben Sasses and the Mitt Romneys of the world who are always saying, well, let's not rush to judgment. I would like to submit on behalf of many of us cool heads in the electorate, this isn't a rush to judgment and it's not wrong to look at this whistleblower complaint in the context of the last few years. Mm -hmm. Compartmentalizing everything does not benefit us. Sometimes we need to look at the whole. And so when Mitt Romney reads this and says he's troubled, I mean, to paraphrase one of our great artists, we knew he was trouble when he walked in. And it is okay to have that sense of him. It is okay to look at this and say, this is wrong and it is in character for him. It follows everything that we've witnessed for the last few years. And it is one too many. I just don't think we need to sort this out and say, gosh, why is everybody going so fast? Slow down. It's premature to talk about impeachment with respect to this issue. It's not. This is the top of a very tall tower that is starting to fall down. And it is a it is the most public damage to our democracy that we could possibly have. 
because it not only looks like we have an incompetent, self-dealing president it who has been accused of all manner of abuses of power as they relate to women, but it also says he is abusing power on the global stage, and it also says other countries can't trust him. It's it's too many, and the cooler heads among us can also say that. We don't have to forever decide that there's never a line because we're just over here being so unemotional, you know? You often say that President Trump just makes you more of who you are, and I think that's why the people who saw the election of Donald Trump as an opportunity to step up and lead in the absence of real leadership appear even more authentic to me in this moment. And I am ready to lean in and listen to them and follow their lead. And the people who decided that the election of Donald Trump was the time to sacrifice their values and follow no matter what the leadership at the top was doing, have lost all moral authority to me. And I don't want to hear it. You know, how? why would I listen to you? You do what you have illustrated over and over and over again, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, member upon member of the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate, that you do whatever he says. And so now that we're presenting an opportunity where we need to investigate what he did, why would you ever think that you're in a position to lead? You have shown over and over again, all you're willing to do is follow him. And so, again, the particularly members of the freshman class and other people in Congress who have said, you know, the fact that he's elected means we need more leadership. Those are the people I'm listening to. And those are the people that I'm willing to follow in this moment. Which is a reminder that tomorrow we will be with one of those people, Amy McGrath, in Louisville, Kentucky, for our Nuance Nation tour. We are looking forward to seeing many of you there. We will be back here with you on Tuesday to continue this discussion. I am certain more things will develop between now and then. Stay with us on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon, where you can hear our most current thoughts about whatever the day's news brings. Thank you all for being with us and for thinking hard about these important issues. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.